Halleluja. You know, something I, um, before I jump into the message, I just, I just want to tell you that, that we're in a season where the signs, gifts, and wonders are very active and very present in our land right now. And we all have access to them. They're gifts. They're free from the Lord. And, you know, in Corinthians it says, above all, covet um, the gift of prophecy. And I just, I just want you to know that, that prophecy is always uplifting and encouraging. And, you know, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people in our land that need a lot of encouragement right now. More than ever before, we need people to move in the gift of prophecy where you're encouraging those around you. You know, when you're at the grocery store, begin to ask the Lord for a word for your, uh, the person checking you out or the person standing behind you and just, just encourage them and lift them up because God is active in our land and he is moving like never before. There's just this incredible open heaven He's drawing all men unto him right now. And we are the vessels that he chooses to use. So activate your gifts. And if you um, don't know how to do that, you let me know and I will start a class. I've been talking about starting a class um, with a prophetic. um, Anyways, so I'll just do it sooner than later. Hallelujah. You know, last week um, was my rant on this sermon. I am passionate about seeing healing come to our land. I'm passionate about seeing young adults and children and adults who don't know who they are in Christ and how much they are loved. I am passionate about fathers returning home. I believe it's a call on our land. I believe it's... um, What God is doing in this time is he's bringing fathers home. He's returning fathers to homes. Fathers that love the Lord with all that they are and totally sold out. So that those who do not know him will see a representation of him in their homes. I believe that he's calling prisoners out of the prison, fathers and mothers, but mainly fathers right now. And they are going to need spiritual fathers to walk alongside of them so that they know that they're not alone in this journey and that we will surround them. Fatherlessness is a great pandemic, and I talked a lot about that last week. And today I'm going to talk about what does it mean to be a spiritual mother and father and what it doesn't mean. And then next week I will be talking about what does it mean to be a spiritual son or a daughter and my responsibility and role for that. Um, We can get easily overwhelmed with the big picture of the fatherlessness and the motherlessness in our nation, right? Like if I look at the big picture, I'm undone by the greatness and the vastness of it and the, the effects that it has had on our children and the effects that it will have on our children's children's. But it's not too great for the king of kings. And it's definitely not too great when he has an army willing to stand and be his hands and feet in this land as spiritual moms and dads in the house. You know, what happens if one body of believers in this community unified 
and choose to walk out the Great Commission every single day, one person at a time. What happens if one person like Jesus decides to father 12 people and those 12 disciple 12? We would have 144 people looking and acting and living like Jesus. And if those 144 people began to father 12, how many do you have? Because I'm not a math whiz, I wrote it down. 1,728. And you go on, and if those 1,728 father 12, each of them, you have 20,726 people living like Jesus. See, we get big... We get the big picture and we get overwhelmed and we just back off and shut down instead of leaning in and moving forward. If we just keep doing church on Sunday mornings, this doesn't go away. And God is shifting the church outside of the walls. He's been trying to shift it for a really long time. The disciples met house to house. They went to the synagogue, they did those things, but they were in houses week to week, daily, eating together, talking, praying, teaching, meeting the needs, selling their stuff. That is the call that God is calling this house, and I believe that he's calling his bride to do. You know, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only affect their lives for eternity if they're up close to you. And that's what this is all about. When we do life outside of these walls, they will know your struggles. They will know your highs and your lows, and they'll see how you get through it. They will, they will see the days that you don't feel like doing life, and you do it anyways. They will see the days that you're not doing it very well, and they see you repent and ask for forgiveness for it. Jesus didn't call his disciples to be disciples. He called them to be friends. And spiritual children are looking for friends, mothers and fathers to walk alongside of them. Not just, not just children in this house. We have a whole community of children who are lost. And they're looking for someone just to let them be loved and to belong. You know, there's only one thing that you take to heaven with you. And that is people. And yet we focus most of our energy on our stuff that is burned up at the end of time. One thing goes to heaven with us. And it ain't your house. It's the people that you pour into period. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 20 says this. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm, I write it all down because I get up here and I get nervous and I can't find anything. So it's always here and I forget to let you guys find 1 Thessalonians. But it's on the screen if you'd like. 2, 17 through 20 says, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy 
And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. You are our pride and joy. People are to be our pride and joy, not the car we drive. Although I really like my car. It's not supposed to be our pride and joy. People are the most important thing, and they're the thing that we neglect the most. Paul states in 1 Thessalonians 2, up in 5 through 11, says, For as you well know, we never came with words of flattery, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness, nor did we seek glory and honor from people, neither from you nor from anyone else, though as apostles of Christ we had the power to assert our authority. But we behaved gently when we were among you, like a devoted mother tenderly, caring for her children. Having such a deep affection for you, we were delighted to share with you not only God's good news, but also our lives, because you had become so very dear to us. For you remember, believers, our labor and hardships. We worked night and day practicing our trade in order not to be a burden to you. While you, while we proclaim the gospel of God to you, you are witnesses, and so is God. How unworldly and just and blameless was our behavior towards you who believe. For you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, just as a father does in dealing with his own children, guiding you to live lives of honor, moral courage, and personal integrity, worthy of God who saves you and calls you into his kingdom and glory. The disciples got it. They knew that the greatest joy, the greatest thing that they should be building is people around them, that they mothered them, they fathered them. They didn't just teach them. Fathers pour out identity to their children. And yet we have an identity crisis in our land. Where are our fathers? They protect and they provide. Fathers create independence in children, much more than mothers usually. Fathers are the ones who powerfully shape our perception of God. How your father shapes the way, how you fathered shapes the way that your child sees God. Let that hit. How we mother affects the way our child sees Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozar said, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us as believers. And yet, there's this belief of God that is just not truth. There's this belief of Holy Spirit that is just not truth. And that is the weight of mothers and fathers. Mothers nurture bring emotional support. She is the one who often determines the children's attitudes. Listen, as much as I'd like to blame it on my husband, she's the teacher in the home, the comforter. She's the one that also protects. 
it is a heavy when we think of the responsibility as we raise our children. But when we look at the cry in our land, it should be a heavy on each of us because people are the most important thing in our lives. In a nation that's become very self-focused and self-righteous and narcissistic, we need to start getting our eyes off of our stuff and start building the kingdom of God like we say we're going to and begin to build it the only way that you can build it, and that is through people. Kingdom of God doesn't come any other way except through people. What is the kingdom you're promoting? What is the God you're representing? And what is the Holy Spirit that you portray? Jesus, convict our hearts this morning so that we can walk out in obedience and transformation because it's one thing to be convicted of it. It's another thing to walk it out because if you don't walk it out after conviction, you are in sin. I don't know any other way to say that is we are responsible for the kingdoms we built. And we will at judgment day be held accountable for the way that we live this life. And we're rewarded for it. People are the most important thing. Some of us need to get a taste of what hell is like so that we're more worried about people's salvation. So I'm going to start by, now that you're ready to get in, now that you're all tired of your toes being stomped on, let's talk about what it looks like to be a spiritual mom. What are the qualifications? What do I need to be striving for or working out in my salvation journey with Jesus? And I'm going to start by debunking some lies. And the first one is this. The first lie about being a spiritual mom and dad is that age is a requirement. That's a lie. Age is not a requirement. Katie has mothered me more than I'd like to say. And I'm sure she has mothered a lot of you in the house. Age is not a requirement. Age has nothing to do with whether you're a spiritual mom or dad. It's all about your willingness and your surrender. It's about being spiritually mature, called holiness, a word our nation doesn't like to hear. Jesus modeled holiness. Holiness is the purity of heart or dispositions. It's moral goodness. It's a sacredness. It's a consecrated to God or his worship. It's separated to the service of God. Don't be a spiritual parent who says, do what I say, don't do what I do. Come on. We got to quit that crap. Also, spiritual children, there's no age requirement for you either. You can be a grandma and still need a parent. I have spiritual parents in my life on top of my natural parents still. I will always have a spiritual mom over me that I walk alongside of that disciples me still and calls me higher. I don't ever want to stop learning and growing in my spiritual walk. So in order for that to happen, I need spiritual parents to come alongside of me and say, cut it out, come higher. So there is no age requirements. That's the first lie. The second lie is this. You have to have children in order to be a parent. 
Not true at all. Nothing to do with it. That is an external deficit, and it has nothing to do with your internal. Not at all. You can be a great mom and never have children. Third lie. I have to have it all together because angels tell me I'm supposed to be walking in holiness. No, you don't have to have it all together. You're not going to have it all together until glory. And if you use that as an excuse, you will never, ever spiritually bring anybody up alongside of you. We don't have it all together. That's why we had to have a Savior. We'll never have it all together. The key is I am striving to have it all together today. And when I mess up, I repent, I seek forgiveness, I'm restored, and I start again. That's the requirement. You don't have to have it all together. And the last one is, this is just another thing to do in my spiritual rituals. Something I check off for the week. As if children are a to-do list. That's a lie. Our spiritual rituals, our spiritual Getting into our word and worshiping and praying is not supposed to be a to-do list. It's supposed to be a relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship flows a natural tendency to want to mother and father those around us so that they come higher because we love them more than we love ourselves. Never make your children a to-do list, ever. All right, so the next piece, over the lies. The next piece is knowing where you are on your spiritual journey. So there are different levels of maturity in this house alone. You can be a spiritual baby in the house. You're brand new to the faith, not even sure how you've gotten here yourself fully. You're excited and scared and don't know what you've signed up for. You probably won't be spiritually mothering anybody anytime soon yet. But you're getting there. So know that. You need spiritual parents to walk alongside of you. You need peers to walk with you through this time because your enemy is not happy that you just changed camps. And he wants to rob you back. You haven't quite figured out how to feed yourself yet. Listen, and if you've been in church for 25 years and you still don't know how to feed yourself, we have a problem. Exactly. That's, that's all right. <laughs> we, <laughs> we need to be moving forward from glory to glory every day going stronger, not going one step forward and 15 backwards. That means that you're playing the fence and the enemy's got his hooks in you and you need to get them out. Maybe this morning you're a young adult in the faith. You've been doing this for a while, but you, you know how to feed yourself. You've been meditating on God's word. Um, John 2.14 says, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has existed from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and vigorous and the word of God remains always in you. And you have been victorious over the evil one. So you've learned how to apply and live God's word on your life. And you've won some battles. You haven't won them all, but you've won most. That means you're a young adult and you're moving forward. It's a good time to start praying and asking God for a spiritual kid coming up behind you. 
There's nothing greater that will build your faith than mothering and fathering something or someone, not just something. Listen, do you know how you become a spiritual mom or dad, which is the last one? By having a spiritual kid. So as a young adult, it's a good time to have a spiritual kid because it turns you into a mother and father real fast. You can prepare all you want to have a natural kid. You ain't ever prepared enough. Nobody's taught you enough on how to handle that kid coming along. It's the same with spiritual children. You can't prepare enough, but begin looking and seeking because that will build your faith and make you stronger. Because all of a sudden you have something that holds you accountable to dig into God's word because you're helping somebody else along. It it holds you fast to coming into worship because you want to to set an example of how important the house of God and coming together is. It, It makes you accountable to the faith that you have already wrestled out. So where are you this morning? Come higher. So how do you model being a spiritual parent? That's where we're headed next. Like I said, you'll never be prepared enough. These are just some things the Lord spoke to me while I was preparing. So they'll help. They're great tools to have in your tool belt as you begin a journey of spiritual parents. The very first one is something that's very redundant. And so I want you to get your religious ears closed off and hear me. Spiritual parents have to have a close relationship with the Trinity. It can't be about rituals. It can't be about to-do lists. It's about relationships. Jesus had a close relationship with his father when he walked out as a father to 12. Close. In Luke 6, 12. It says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night long. Jesus was fully human. And he knew the importance of being up close and personal with his father so that he could disciple the 12. If we are not intimate with the Trinity in any way, shape, or form, you're going to begin to resent those that you're serving. You're going to burn out. You're going to wound those around you. And you're going to quit because you're doing it in your own strength and not his Jesus, or Jesus, yeah, in John 5, 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Well, how do you see what your father's doing if you're not in contact with him? Whatever the father does, the son also does. Your children need to see you in your word. They need to see you in prayer, and they need to see you in church. They need to see that your priority is God and God alone. We must be secure spiritual parents convinced that the Heavenly Father loves us at all times, 
And if we're not convinced of that, it's because we have wandered too far away from the Father so he can whisper to us his love for us. It is in intimacy that we get the eyes of heaven and the mind of Christ. The only way to love difficult children, because you are called to difficult children too. I don't know about you, but I had four, and I've had a couple that were pretty difficult. And all of them difficult at some point in time. Another. Sometimes I'd have sold some of them. In order to love your children well, you need to be intimate with Christ. Because you cannot do it in your own strength. Because you'll want to quit on them. You'll want to shake the living pudding out of them. You want to slap them upside the head with the Bible more than once. And it doesn't work. I've tried. You need the eyes and the mind of Christ. I think it was John Wesley that said, set me on fire and watch me burn. That's what your children need to see you doing. Being set on fire so that they can see you burn. Because fire spreads. It doesn't stay in one spot. It naturally spreads. You're on fire, your children will be on fire. If they see you digging in, they're going to want what you have and begin to seek it out for themselves. The most important thing that you can do as spiritual parents is to stay intimate with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Go into the Holy of Holies. Go into the courtrooms of heaven. You have access to everything in heaven. It says the kingdom of heaven come down, not us go up. We are called to access the kingdom of heaven and bring it down to here. How do you get to kingdom of heaven? You're in intimacy with Christ. We have access to heavenly places. It says in the Bible that we are seated at his right hand. Our spirits dwell there. Are you aware of what's going on in heaven? Are you aware of what your Father in heaven is up to right now, today, in this moment? Did you ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where are you in this room and how can I partner with you? Those are things that we need to do as spiritual parents. Intimacy with him. If you don't know how to be intimate, see one of the leaders. We'll help you, lead you, guide you. But I promise you this. You go into a secret place long enough, he'll speak and you'll hear because you begin to tune in because the things of earth grow dim in that place. And you'll hear and you'll see. You may question it, but that's okay. Just keep digging in because if something good drops, it's Jesus. He's talking to you. The second important thing as spiritual parents is spiritual parents pursue children. A child should never have to pursue a kid, a a mom or a dad. Not ever. It's the parents' responsibility to pursue the children that they feel God has called them to. So begin to ask, God, who are you calling me to? And begin to pursue that kid. Kind of butt up against them a little bit and see if there's a fit there. Spend a little time with them before you ask them to be your child. Just see if you're compatible. Yes, yeah. When I say spiritual kid, I'm talking, my mom could be my spiritual kid in some instances. Who is God asking you to walk alongside of? Jesus broke tradition by pursuing his disciples. His disciples didn't have to pursue him, them, him. 
he pursued them. He, he, had a, he asked them and invited them in, not just to follow his teachings, but to be with him. Turn with me to Mark three fourteen. <clears throat> and he appointed 12 disciples so that they would be with him for instruction and so that he could send them out to preach the gospels as apostles, that is, as his special messengers, personally chosen and a representation. He invited them in to be in close relationship with him. Not just one day a week, but he lived in close proximity with them all the time. You're going to have to be willing to allow your children up close and personal because there's a lot of fathers missing in children's lives in this house and in our community, and they need parents that are willing to sacrifice for them and to invite them in to their everyday life, to invite them into their homes, to invite them into your struggles, to invite them into your vacations. What are you willing to sacrifice? Jesus sacrificed everything for 12. Jesus didn't want to just teach them. He wanted relationship with them. We can't go into looking for spiritual children just to teach them, but to want intimacy with them, to be vulnerable with them, to be real and honest. And I started out by saying, you cannot impress people from a distance, but you can only affect their lives for eternity when you are up close and personal with them. And that came out of um, the book, Calling Spiritual Moms and Fathers. The next step is spiritual parents are called to serve and to sacrifice. <clears throat> we have to get to the place where we care more about serving than leading. And, and in our society, it's the opposite. We care more about leading than serving. And we have to be different than what the world has to offer. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you can teach all day long, but if you're not up close and personal, they're not hearing you fully. Jesus served his disciples. He met their needs at every moment. He made sure that they were cared for throughout the entire time that he walked with them. They never lacked anything in their lives. And every time there was a lack, he provided, and provided for that lack. We need to be the same. The very last act that Jesus did in John 13, he was found serving his disciples. <clears throat> if you want to turn there, John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, have, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
during supper when the devil had already put into their hearts of Judas Iscariot, Simeon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper and he laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And Peter, being Peter, gets very upset and says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with my head, Jesus said to him. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said not all of you are clean. He goes on in verse 16, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than those who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We are called to serve. We are not called to lead. We are called to serve. Jesus knew that Judas was betraying him. Knew it, knew it. And he served him anyways. We're not just called to serve the easy, the lovable, the kind, the ones we like walking alongside. We are called to serve the hard, the difficult, the betrayers, the outcasts, the ones that rub us the wrong way. We are called to serve the places that we work, whether we agree with them or not. We are called to serve and serve some more. And Jesus served until his death when he sacrificed his life. We are called to do the same. Max Licato said this, his disciples were the son of Galilee when they heard Jesus call out from the shore. And when they reached the beach, they saw the most extraordinary sight. Jesus was cooking and he told them, come and eat breakfast. This is in John 21, 12. And Max Licato says this, shouldn't the roles be reversed? Jesus had ripped the gates of hell off of their hinges. He made a deposit of grace that forever offsets our debt of sin. He, the unrivaled commander of the universe, wore the apron. Even more, he is yet to remove it. He promises a feast in heaven at which he will gird himself and have him sit down and eat again, it says in Luke 12, 37. And he will come and serve them there. Even after death, Jesus was found serving his disciples. In heaven, as king of glory, he will serve us at the wedding feast. Come on, how beautiful is that? Can you imagine the sight? Someone asked, has anyone seen Jesus? And someone says, yes, he's the one on the other side of the banquet room serving the iced tea. Mm. This world is missing servants. We need to be ones that are willing to serve. A parent's role should come from a place of how can I help you? not from the place of what can I teach you. Laying down our wants and needs for others. Jesus laid it all out. He didn't have his feet washed either, but he chose to serve instead. The disciples later in Acts went on and modeled this very thing. Because they went house to house in Acts and sold everything they had so that not one 
one thing, one need was left undone. They served and served and served to the point of death. John 15, 12 says this. This is my commandment that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love, no stronger commitment than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus called the disciples his friends, and he laid his life down for them. You are my friends if you keep on doing what I commanded you. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends, because I have revealed to you everything I have heard from my father. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have appointed and placed and purposely planted you, so that you would go and bear fruit and keep on bearing. This is what I command you, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another. Our world is, our nation is one of the most narcissistic nations that there is. It's a problem, folks. We are called to serve and to sacrifice, not hold on, possess, and see what we can get away from the other person. We are greedy and self-centered and self-righteous, and it needs to end here. No more. Let's be a people that serves Let's be a people that surrenders. Let's be a people that lays it all out and says, unto death, everything I have is yours. Narcissism, selfishness is one of the problems that got us in this place in the first place. It's the reason we don't, we have a pandemic of fatherlessness in our nation is because of selfish living and self. You know, I, I cannot believe, all right, let me say this nicely. I am saddened and sickened with parents who sacrifice children for their own needs and wants and desires. And I watch kids go without week after week. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to lay it down so that they have. We're supposed to give it up so they can be raised up. We are selfish with our time. We are selfish with our energy. We are selfish with our things. And it has to end. We need to be the ones that lay it down so that there is not one need unmet. We need to be mothers and fathers who are willing, spiritual parents who are willing to say, you know what, whatever I have that you have need of while I walk with you is yours. And no, it'll be taken advantage of. It will. But it didn't stop Jesus because it was taken advantage from him, and he still loved anyways. He didn't give up on Judas. He never stopped loving him, and he never stopped serving him, and he didn't stop sacrificing for him, knowing that he would be denying him. Look what he did with Peter. He told Peter, you will deny me three times before I even die, and yet he poured into Peter everything he had and never quit on him, never stopped. 
constantly sacrificed in serving Peter. Yes. Yeah, it used to be MTV when we were growing up. Now it's the internet. Come on. Be different. Be different. We are his children. We're supposed to be acting like him. The fourth thing a spiritual parent does is they believe in their kids no matter their behaviors. Your spiritual children will act out of turn. You, they are going to have moments of selfishness, just like your natural children. They will not come up and say, thank you for all of your time and energy. I greatly appreciate it, just like your natural children. They will be irresponsible at times, immature, unstable, and they're going to fall and even mess up more than once probably. Love them anyways and see beyond the behaviors. Jesus never saw behaviors. He rebuked it when it came up at times, but he saw beyond the behaviors and called out purpose and destiny out of his disciples. He called them by what he saw in them, by what his father said about them, not the way that they were acting in the moment. Jesus called Simon Peter, which means rock. And Peter was far from being a rock at all. He was unstable, hot-headed, spoke out of turn before he thought about anything. And he's the one that denied Jesus. But Jesus believed in Peter, regardless of Peter. Children will never reach their potential if parents demoralize them with unrealistic expectations and constant criticism. You will push them away. They will act in rebellion because you've just now turned God's word into law instead of relationship if all you demand is rules being kept because they will break rules. What you do with that is important. I will get in, those of you, I won't call you a name, but those of you people who grew up in the church, I was like, are you going to talk about discipline? Yes, I'll get there. Promise. Mark 3.16 says, he pointed the 12 and Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. Ephesians 6.4 says this, mothers and fathers, listen. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And the Amplified says, do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them, but bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the dis discipline and instruction of the Lord. A child, how many of you have been in a workplace where you just thought, man, if they would just recognize the good that I did instead of all the bad that I did, I'd want to stay around a little longer. But all my boss can do is point out the bad that I'm, all my lack and the things that I'm not good at, never saying anything about the good that I do. Anybody ever been in that situation? How much better it is to work for somebody who sees the good and pulls on those things? Well, it's the same in parenting. It is the same with spiritual parents. 
their behaviors are going to be this close, and you're going to want to pop them. And you're going to have to call on the Holy Spirit and say, God, what do you say about this kid right now so I don't hurt him? What do you say so I can see him through the eyes of heaven and that I can love him the way that he needs right now? And it takes discipline. That's why we have to be close with the Trinity because you're going to need the Trinity in those moments. And you're going to have to hit your knees for them when you know they're off doing something they shouldn't be doing. Jesus never nagged Peter about his behaviors. And he didn't constantly call out those behaviors. He chose to see Peter as he could be and call that out of him. Rock that I'll build my church on. Stable. Steadfast. That's who Peter is. Be be someone who sees beyond behaviors and ask God how to pull heavenly identity over them and pull on that. Spiritual parents, you must nurture trust because there's a whole lot of things that have happened to people that they don't trust anybody anymore. Trust is a cornerstone of a successful spiritual parenting relationship, which grows in small increments and accumulates over time. Don't demand trust the first day you meet with them because you're not going to have it. Because there's a lot of people that said they were parents and they weren't parents. Prove to them otherwise. Be available. Be approachable. Be consistent. Not quitting on them ever. Be in it for the long haul instead of a short-term missions trip. Because mother and father is for life. And some of them will need you for life. All too often, our spiritual children are surrounded by people who break promises and don't follow through with what they said that they would do. Don't let that be you. Jesus behaved differently than other religious leaders around him. He nurtured trust in his relationships by being this in the storm with his disciples, showing up for the storms with his disciples and never quit on them. Don't make promises you cannot keep. Jesus was consistent all the way to the cross. And then again, when he rose up, never quit. Not once did he quit on his disciples, not once. And he had every reason to quit, and he didn't. We must be the same. Spiritual parents are authentic is the next one. Counterfeits and fakeness is everywhere. Don't let it be found in you. Don't let it be in our churches or in our homes. Jesus challenged the Pharisees about their fakeness in Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the inside, but inside you are full, or beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. 
So you also outwardly seem to be just and upright to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus was who he was. He never pretended to be anything than himself. Even in his struggles, he was himself. He wept in front of his disciples when he was grieving. He, they saw a righteous anger rise up in Jesus when he kicked the tables over out in front of the, the um, temple. They saw him in the garden when he struggled. If you go to Matthew 26, 36 and th- through 45, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Kids naturally and spiritually need to see the real you, not something you pretend to be on Sunday mornings. They need to see the authentic you in your struggle, and in your victories, in your grief, and in your rejoicing. Because if a kid doesn't see how you lean into the hard instead of running from it, how are they ever going to learn how to lean into hard if they only see what you put on the face on Sunday mornings? Don't make up stuff if you don't know what you're talking about. Be real. Search it out. Say, you know what, I really don't know, but we'll find that out together. Let's begin to research it. They need to see you angry and not sin. Because they need to know that anger is okay. It's when we sin in anger that's wrong. They need to see you weep and be sad and yet be able to rejoice and have joy. We have become a nation that runs from hard, looking for easy answers. And we need to be a people that doesn't run, but shows the struggle and be authentic with it. And then, then go into spiritual parents are always steadfast. And when you're not, you're authentic about it. Say, so you know what? I'm not really being very good right now. I'm really struggling in my faith. It's okay. Because if you're perfect all the time, what do they have? What kind of a hope is that to your kids? Parents need to endure no matter what it looks like. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than that is needed. Come on. Can, we, can I say that again? Excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and then doing more than what is needed. We need more of that in our nation. Be continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord, is not futile or wasted. It's never without purpose. 
Do you know that one of the first things we let go of when life gets busy? Discipleship. People. The only thing we can take to heaven with us. We'll do everything else, but we can't meet with our people and do life with them because life is busy and it's too much. Well, take them to the grocery store with you. Take them out running errands with you. Do life with your children. Don't push them aside because you're busy. Jesus was headed to death, to the cross, and he was steadfast and steady and still poured into his disciples. We don't have an excuse. Spiritual parents, just a minute. You know, I had a vision in 2014 about a generation rising up. And when the generation rose up, there was a bunch of parents, mature Christians, lined up behind these stones. And and in the vision, the Lord said, Angel, there's going to come a time where, as parents, you're going to want to rescue your children from the hard and do things for them. But it is it is important to them that you don't rescue your children from the hard, but teach them to look to the cross and stay steady in their faith. You know we have raised up a generation there. There is this mentality that in our school system and in the nation that, that our, everybody gets a trophy. You don't have to do anything. And that's not the, how it works in the kingdom. There are things we have to do. And we need to be, be consistent as parents to make our kids do hard things, including our spiritual thing, parents, care, spiritual kids, that we don't run in and rescue, you, rescue them out of their battles, but make them push through the battle to the other side. Because otherwise, we're raising a bunch of weak kids who don't know how to handle hard. And they end up with such severe depression and anxiety and, and diseases that they end up in wards because they were not taught how to do difficult things. We have to be different. We have to be the parents that say, you know what? I know it sucks right now. I'm sorry, mom. I know you don't like that word. I know it's not good right now. I know that you don't like what you're having to walk through, but I need you to carry through and I'll be alongside of you every step of the way. I won't let you fall. And if you fall, I'll pick you up and brush you off because you have to keep moving. We need a generation that knows how to do hard, who is taught how to do hard things, who is taught to figure things out on their own, how to fight battles when they want to quit and run the other direction. This is Hard. Life is hard. And if we don't know how to do hard things, we will not train our kids to be able to move forward and have adult lives that are successful in the eyes of the Lord. Because walking as a believer is hard. It requires hard work. Don't rescue your kids out of battles that they were called to fight. If my, my parents rescued me from every battle I ever faced, I'm going to tell you right now, I'd have left my husband the first year we were married. And I would have ran from the ministry so fast. And I would have been an alcoholic on drugs because life was hard. But my parents trained me. We do hard things in this household. 
And when you don't like it, do it anyways. Because it's what you were created to do. I don't like speaking on, I just told my husband, what did I, I just said it yesterday, what did I say I would speak three weeks in a row for? I don't like speaking. But God has called me to it, so I'll walk and I'll do the hard thing anyways, when I'd rather be sitting and listening instead of speaking up here. Because we were created to do hard things. He, God has given us everything we need inside of us to do hard things. And kids need to learn that now. Our spiritual kids need to do that. Don't rescue them from the battle they were created to win. That's right. Which is another part of this lesson. That's right. Absolutely. Listen. It is the battles of my childhood, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that taught me to be victorious in the battles of adulthood. And there were days I wanted someone to rescue me. And that's when God swooped in and said, I'm right here. You don't need rescuing. I did that with my son, and I will get you through to the other side. And he's been faithful to get me through to the other side. He will be faithful with your children and your spiritual children. Teach them to be steadfast and endure hard things. Okay. Number eight, spiritual parents correct. Jesus corrected his disciples more than once. In Luke 9, he corrected them for their unbelief. In fact, it says rebuked, but it's corrected. In Luke 9, 44, he corrected them for their inability to understand Jesus' coming betrayal. In Luke 9, he also corrected them for their pride and their deception. He corrected them for their intolerance. He corrected them for their racial bigotry in, um, in Luke 9 as well. We must be willing to correct those that we are parenting. It's not easy. It's not fun. But if we truly love them, we must correct them. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says this. My son, do not reject or take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Learn from your mistakes and the testing that comes from his correction through discipline. Nor despise his rebuke. For those whom the Lord loves, he corrects even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Listen, if we don't correct, if we're not willing to correct, are we truly loving? I don't know about you, but I want to love somebody enough that if they're in sin, I want to be able to call them higher and say, you know what, I understand you're struggling right now, but where you're at right now is taking you to a path that leads to hell. And I'm not willing to let you stay on that path because I love you too much. I will come at you, and I'll tell you again and again until you hear it for the last time, and you, re- you repent, and you move forward. Love people enough to correct them when they're walking away from the very thing that can save them. Love them enough to call them higher. Love them enough when they're in the pit and say, I'm not going to let you stay down there. Get up. Love enough to correct them. Call sin, sin. Stop 
making it a gray area. If it's sin, call it out. Love them enough to call it out. Now listen, there's a caveat here. It's spiritual parents that you're in relationship with. There needs to be an underlying relationship with the children that you're ministering to if you're going to call them out on sin. Have relationship there. Otherwise, pray for them. Get on your knees. Don't gossip about them. Don't judge them from a distance. Get on your knees and pray for them until they recognize where they're at and what they're up to. You can come to house leaders and say, you know, I really think so-and-so is struggling in this area, and let us handle it if you feel like it needs to be dealt with. But don't gossip about those that are struggling. Call them higher when you have relationship with them. A chosen lifestyle sin leads to death naturally, physically, and spiritually. It kills. Sin kills. End of story. It's death every time. Number nine, spiritual parents empower We must be willing to maintain healthy boundaries that help against emotional dependency and create a culture of empowerment. It's allowing your kid to do hard things and point them to the cross and say, he's going to get you through, now go through. It's it's not being their spiritual parent for 25 years and not seeing any growth in their life and sitting back and allowing it to happen. It's, it's empowering them by discipling them and calling them higher. Even Jesus did this with his disciples in Luke 10.1. After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out on ahead, two by two, into every town and place where he himself went. Jesus walked alongside of them and gave them opportunities to do ministry while he was present so that they were prepared that when he was gone, they would stand and continue to do ministry. We need to be doing the same with our spiritual parents. It's, it's, it becomes a savior problem when our spiritual children depend on us more than God because then we have an arrogance and a pride of, but I'm the only one that can help you instead of pointing them to the one that can help them. Only Jesus can be their savior. Be willing to create space for your children to minister while they're in your presence. Empower them to be fathers and mothers themselves. Encourage that in them and call that out of them. Give them space to fail while they're still under your care. Because even in that story, there was a failure that they couldn't do, and he had to redirect them and teach them and train them. Every failure with your kids is a teaching place. Teach them. Don't rebuke them. Number 10, spiritual parents champion their children to be greater than they are. We cannot be so insecure or become jealous when our children outgrow us and their gifts shine brighter than our gifts. We must champion them to go and do more just like Jesus did. 
That's the whole goal of spiritual parenting, isn't it? Isn't it so that we see them become greater than we were? We, John 14, 12 says, I tell you timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believe in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with my father. He championed his disciples to do more, go further, rise higher. It should be our greatest joy for our children to rise above us. It shouldn't cause competition to rise up in us. And if competition is rising up in us, then we have something we need to deal with. Because Jesus never competed with his disciples. He let them shine. Surrender your right to be the best. Raise your children who are willing to do greater things. What becomes of our children when we parent like Jesus? They become John the Beloved. John was not always the beloved. He was a son of thunder. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the Bible, but in John 21, he calls himself. He said, Peter turned and saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against during the supper and said, Lord, who is that that's going to betray you? John was the beloved. John was the one that Jesus said, John, this is my mother. Will you take care of her? And John took her home after that. You only leave your mother with someone you can trust. But John wasn't always trustworthy. He was prideful, wanting to sit at the right or the left. He was self-confident, striving for honor, hungry for power. He was impulsive, indignant, and harbored the desire for retaliation on many turns. They went into one city, and they weren't welcome there, and, and the sons of thunder wanted to call down fire and destroy the city. That tells you what kind of a kid he was. But yet he was the beloved. When we disciple children the way Jesus discipled the 12, we will raise up sons and daughters who are willing to die on crosses too, who are willing to lay it all down. John was selfish and self-righteous. But he, was be- but he was changed because of the lengthy time that he has spent with his spiritual father, Jesus. It was in Jesus' presence day after day, time after time, that John became the beloved. And your spiritual children, the children that are dying for parents to rise up in our nation, need parents that walk like Jesus and father and mother like Jesus. And you cannot, will not do it in your own strength. As much as you're messed up, you'll mess them up. So get your junk messed, your stuff that you're messed up with, get it fixed. Because there's enough of that already happening in children's lives. They don't need you messing them up too. We must be parents. I want you to stand. Mark, I'm going to have you come up front. We must be parents who are intimate with the Trinity. We must be willing to pursue our children and serve and sacrifice for them. We must believe in our children first and call out their purpose and identity from heaven. Listen, 
Most of the children we work with will not believe in themselves until you begin to believe in them. And it's not until you prophesy what you see in them that they can begin to see a switch and you can see it in their eyes and start to believe the truth of what you call out of them. Be authentic no matter how ugly some days may be. Be steadfast no matter how hard it is. And be willing to correct and redirect our children to empower them to become moms and dads themselves and champion them to be greater than what you are. You know, I I just really felt this morning that Mark was going to commission us as the father of the house. He is the one that God has called to be our father here, and I stand alongside of him as a mother. And we have said, I said last week, God is moving in our land, and we have children coming in that know nothing. Like, literally, we have... We have a new believer that knows nothing. How exciting and beautiful. But they need somebody to walk alongside of them that knows something to help direct them to become somebody in the kingdom of God. We need mothers and fathers in this house to rise up and pursue children in this house and outside of this house. And so I just felt like there was a call this morning. There's a call over this house for moms, spiritual moms, and spiritual dads to rise. And so I just want Mark to come up on stage here, and and I'm just going to have Richard just play something. Yeah, never mind. I forgot. You can't do that and get away with it. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and then I'm going to have you come forward in a minute if you are answering the call. Listen. It doesn't mean you have to have it down pat and perfect this morning. It means that I recognize that there is a call. And my heart is stirring. I want to be a spiritual mom and dad. And I know that there are more spiritual moms and dads in this house that we recognize as spiritual moms and dads in this house already. Josh and Amy and my parents. And there's a ton of you in here. And that's beautiful. But the world needs more. And we need to be parents that pursue them outside of these walls. Who are you pursuing? Who are you going after? Who is, who is it that God's called you at in your workplace, in your homes? Because they're there. Guarantee you they are there. Ask him for his eyes. So if you're hearing the call, I want you to step forward at the altar. Just come up. If you're hearing the call and you're answering it, come forward. No pressure. If you're not ready, that's okay. But if you're hearing it, I'm not asking you to be perfect at it. I'm asking you to say, I recognize the call. I want to answer the call. I want to be a part of what God is doing in our community and in this house. You're also stepping forward and and you're saying, I want my life to be used by him. So, Lord, do whatever you need to do to make me a spiritual dad that you can be proud of. A spiritual mom that you can be proud of, God. Hallelujah. 
Halleluja. 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 Sons and daughters, prodigal sons are returning home. And they need you. We are seeing more salvations outside of the walls of the church than ever before. You are needed. And I just want Pastor Mark, the father of the house, to commission us as though they're saying, Hear my Lord, I don't understand all of this, but hear my. I don't want one more child to not have a dad or a mom present in their life. I don't want one more young adult to try to figure it out on their own any longer, God. Here am I. And so I just want you to raise your hands up and say, God, here am I. And Mark, you commission us to go as a father. Amen. Amen. Come on. Hallelujah. That's right. That's right. I'm not going to force you into this relationship. Amen. So we Holy Spirit, help me not to be easily offended as I parent broken people and hurt people. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, will you help me strive for holiness? I may never reach the perfection that Jesus walked in. But as a spiritual father and mother, to your children on earth, may you find me striving for it. Hallelujah. Now I want you to look at this team up here. What if each of you just fathered three? Come on. This world is dying for spiritual moms and dads to rise. 
famine in the land. Mm. You know your father, you have this storehouse. Mm. He wants to take what was meant for evil and turn it into good. Amen. You have the seed. You have the seed. Mm. There's a famine. Amen. People need to know where to go. Amen. Amen. It's a good word. Amen. Hallelujah. Everything you have need of, he will provide as you parent. And when you don't think you can, he will strengthen you so you can. Amen. Go and begin. I can, um, I, I have a lot of books that if you want resources, I'll put them in your hands. There are resources that will help you parent. And you can bring your spiritual children along with you. He's got great resources. So whatever you need as the spiritual parents of the house, we will equip you. That is what we're here for. Amen. Go and be. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.